definitely when I was in middle school and I thought that this was body dysmorphia. I was chubby and just uncomfortable in my body. And that's the thing that probably most teenagers go through, especially if you're a girl, because there's so much pressure on your body. But I think actually the dysphoria of being signaled that you're supposed to change your sex, which again is so hard to describe and people will often, because a lot of people have experienced body dysmorphia of Mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable in my body right now deeply, will think of it as that. Mm but it is a distinct experience. It's the dysphoria signaling a transition of gender or sex. I experienced to be quite divine and beautiful. It never came from a place of me wanting to punish myself or fix myself or responding to trauma I had experienced. It was just my path of self-realization revealing itself to me and taking me on this big adventure. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine Podcast. Lauren here, sending you all a lot of love. Today, I had a really special experience sitting at my altar, interviewing a beautiful soul named Jonah Welsh. We were sharing a mic, <laughs> just having some tea, and we said a few prayers together before we started this interview. And this is an interview about the medicine of transgender and non-binary people. And in this interview, I asked questions and confessed a couple things that I didn't quite understand or that made me uncomfortable. And I did so vulnerably prearranged with Jonah because our intention here is really to illuminate doubt and fear and judgment and hatred and bring us all closer together as a human family. And so for those of you who have mixed feelings or difficult feelings or confused feelings about transgender or non-binary peoples, I invite you to listen to this interview with an extremely humble and open heart. This isn't an interview that I will accept any hateful comments about. Any comment, any negative review, none of that is necessary here. This is a place, a podcast where we're trying to learn how to love 
We're trying to heal ourselves from our own internalized self-hatred, our own internalized misogyny, our own internalized isolation and connect with one another. And so I'm putting up a boundary, not that I think I need it with this community, but I'm putting up a firm boundary that this conversation to me was sacred. And for all of the political discourse and all of those conversations, that isn't what this is about. This isn't that conversation. This isn't that frequency of a conversation. This is a conversation about spirituality, being human, and what it means to be a human that does not fully identify as male or female or doesn't identify themselves based in their assigned gender. And I'll use that term, even though I actually don't fully understand all of the terms, I'm pretty ignorant in many ways. And that comes out in this episode, which you will hear yourself. So I ask for grace and forgiveness there too. I absolutely cherished my time with Jonah and I hope that Jonah and I become good friends. I feel like I have a lot to learn from this beautiful soul and someone who I really believe is a teacher. And I want to share a little bit how I came across Jonah. As many of you know, if you've been listening for a while, I love the rosary. It's such a magical tool that you can use completely non-denominationally as an invocation and connection to the Great Mother. And Jonah is a holder of a rosary circle for queer folk. And they design these beautiful rosaries. And my friend Sophia was showing me her St. Michael rosary, this blue, gorgeous, epic, really classy rosary, and saying, you need to meet this person, this trans mystic person who makes these rosaries. And what I thought was so cool about that is the fact that rosaries come from a goddess tradition, but they were adapted into a Catholic tradition. And Catholics historically had crusades against queer people and all sorts of things like that. So the fact that there's this transgender, non-binary person who is praying the rosary and bringing the magic of the great mother to their community, and we'll hear them share a little bit about this, that really intrigued my interest. And so I started reading some of Jonah's work. I highly encourage you to do the same. It's very thought-provoking and beautiful. And I just knew that I wanted to have them on the podcast. And so a little bit about Jonah. Jonah Welch is a modern trans mystic, visual artist, abstract comic, devotional poet, student of medicine, prayer anchor, rosary dealer, rogue philosopher, spellmaker, student and teacher of stones, alchemist, researcher of trans and non-binary spiritual history, explorer of modern trans spiritual practices, dream, interpreter, facilitator, speaker, animist, and visitor here for now. And so with that all being said, I invite you into my living room at my altar with beautiful Jonah. And I want to encourage all of us to live in nuance and to expand our minds and our ideas of God and our ideas of what it means to be human. As we go on this ride together, this episode. So with that being said, welcome Jonah. Thank you for having me, Lauren. It's lovely that we got to meet in person and have tea and pray a little bit before doing this. And 
from what I understand, I'm the first gender non-conforming person you've had on the podcast. Yes. And so I hope this can just be a start of these conversations. And I'm very happy to be here to at least share what I've come to know in my life. So Jonah, why don't we start with how you came to understand who you are? (laughs) What was it like being you? And how did you come to be who you are today? I mean, it's, that's like the biggest question of all, but maybe you could start with some information that you think is helpful for us to put ourselves in your shoes somewhat. I have something I want to read to y'all to answer this question. What about being a transsexual has cultivated my relationship with the divine? I wrote this in September. My body changed in miraculous ways that brought such joy I could not possibly describe. I exited youth and stepped onto a trail of longing. I felt agony set in, having to do with my body and its limitations. Swiftly, in recognition of the path I was intended to take, the world brought me a new name through miraculous means, a story for another time. Emboldened, I plucked a certain medicine out from the void, Believing it was for me, I don't remember how I found it, although I know I had done much searching. It was the same instinct we all have to heal ourselves with what is available to us. But really, it was a leap of faith. I started teaching myself how to push a hollow needle into my leg. It worked. I felt ancestors who had not noticed me let themselves into my tent. As those like me are known to do, I mutilated my chest, tore it apart, and retained scars that hold me tight in dual embrace. I gave up a portion of my face and hid it from recognition. I went into my throat and removed my voice, opened a door, and a new one came in. I parted with communities of queer women who had once sheltered me. Unwelcome in the world of men as well, I went out into the dark, my house now all at rest. There was no guide save for myself and at times a friend but we did not always know what to do. Without choosing to, I asked internally, silently, for someone to help steer my course. It was the angel of joy who answered my prayers, and happiness was my only guide for many nights. Even though I could not feel it yet, the angel told me tales of joy's embrace. I thought I would lose my family in my pursuit. I thought I would lose my life, but I did not. Each nightmare cleared its own reality out of my fate. More and more, my body resembled that of the earth, and so I was assured. Fires raged throughout me. They nourished the ground. Rain fell, and all of my body bloomed to life. These were natural alchemical processes taking place. I died and plumed upwards in a cloud of steam, distilling myself over heavenly fire. All light was inside of me at that time and concealed from view. But there comes a point in darkness, as long as you are determined to keep going, where you see light. This is the law of the universe. Nothing stays the same. Everything changes. At the moment when the dark seems to reach its peak of fullness, light is born. Under your footsteps, a hint of gold sent from a far-off beam, the same that was hidden in your belly all along. In the light of my own creation, for the first time, I looked down and saw myself and recognized that it was me. And so I share this piece was an attempt to distill what I'm here to talk about, which is how gender nonconformity and especially for me, the experience of transitioning from female to male 
it is a inherent leap of faith. There is no one who can tell you whether you're right or wrong or whether you're really trans or if you're really a man or a woman. It's completely based on your own self-knowing. And so starting from there and having that faith, I then experienced miraculous things along my path that cultivated my relationship with the divine. And so I knew that there must be a path with substance for people who are not divinely feminine or divinely masculine. And for people who in their lives have to go through an immense change like this. So this is how that along with indigenous knowledge and medicine about the sacredness of trans people is what created my sort of path or what my life purpose, it seems, has become is to learn about this, to research this. Because as you were saying in your intro earlier, there are a lot of forces that have cut back notions of God to serve certain purposes, especially patriarchal purposes. And part of what was lost in all of the book burnings and destruction of texts back in early Christianity was the knowledge of the divine as being a unified consciousness and not a man or a woman. And there was a lot more about divine androgyny before the New Testament became the thing. So this is my transness sort of created my path for me in a way, almost by force, but I chose as a person to use it as an opportunity to live a spiritual life. So that piece was beautiful and I felt a lot of emotion. What did you feel? I felt both a very relatable sense that I have in my own self as this yearning and the seeking of divine connection one where i understand like myself within that connection and then i also felt hope and i also felt tremendous pain and this is the journey right for all in many ways and i would love to ask you just some more tangible questions about growing up as i don't even actually really know the proper politically correct language why don't we just like toss that aside for now? So you were born a girl. The world perceived you as a girl. And did you ever perceive yourself as a girl? And what was that like? I like to say I was born female and I was definitely raised as a girl, but I had two younger sisters and both my parents don't really care very much about gender norms. And we were all just really intense children. So I think they had other things to deal with. But I always felt on the outside of being a girl because I didn't really want or have interest in some of the things that were I was supposed to have interest in. And so, and I never really felt socially very welcome spending time with girls. I had friends, of course, and everything, but just like kind of on a broader social scale, I was, I just wanted to be comfortable as a kid. I, we grew up out in the country. I spent a lot of time in nature, just wearing like gym shorts and just running around. So for me, my like early childhood gender was couched in nature. And so I didn't really play around with ideas of what a 
girl was supposed to be like. I just didn't really have to think about those things, which is lucky. And I have two younger sisters, so I don't think my, with the three of us, my parents were never too concerned about what we were doing. But I also would want to do things with boys and they wouldn't let me. And that made me really mad. The way that I do think of myself as a girl, as a child, was advocating for girls to be able to do whatever they wanted because I was so hurt by just a scene, summer camp. I like went out onto the baseball field. I loved baseball. And I was like, hey, which team can I be on? And it was a bunch of boys. And they were like, you can't, what do you, you can't play baseball. And I was like, why? And they were like, girls can't play baseball. And I was like, why? That was always me as a child, as a girl. I would change the uniform policy at my school so that girls could wear pants and like things like that, where I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm a girl and like, I can do anything. So what is all of this junk? Like, Mm -hmm. this doesn't make sense to me. And it was because actually I'm not really quite a girl. I wasn't able to just fall into and enjoy the little things that like girls do get to enjoy because they just kind of weren't for me. So the things I wanted to do, I had to advocate for. And so I do feel a solidarity with girls and with women in that way of wanting to destroy all limitations upon the bodies of like female or feminine people. And, but really I was just like a neutral nature child. I don't know. And I still kind of am. Yeah. So then you grew up and then at 19, something shifted, as you said in your writing, what was it that shifted? And can you paint us the picture of that? Well, I moved out of my family home. I was, I actually, I started realizing the first thing I realized is that I wasn't a woman and it's hard to describe it's not like I realized I was something specific. I just knew I was not a woman. And the way I knew that was countless experiences of distress when I would be referred to that way or placed inside of that box or when people would reward my behavior that was feminine and look down on behavior that was masculine. It was... This is dysphoria, right? Have you heard the word dysphoria? Mm -hmm. I call dysphoria the messenger. And it's that experience of, it's like despair, distress, confusion, a sense of hopelessness or like futurelessness because you can't see how you now would exist in the future because it doesn't feel right. That is a thing that a lot of people I think experience, but it's a very big part of the trans experience for some people. And I started having that. and But it's, to me, a messenger because it points you to where you need to go to stay alive almost. So it was after I was like an adult out of my family home, making new friends and just coming into contrast with the social systems at play, being called ma'am, being like treated certain ways by people who didn't know me, and we're seeing my body and interpreting it a certain way, that's when I realized something was up. And luckily I was in an environment with lots of people who helped support this. But I also, I'm someone who takes invitation from the universe and I've always kind of followed that. And so I first changed 
my name, which is a whole magical story of its own. But I changed my pronouns to they, them over 10 years ago, and I've used them ever since. And then I one day I was with a good friend of mine, and she regrets using this language, but it was funny at the time. She was just like, Jonah, why don't you just be a boy? Like, we need more good men in this world. And while I'm not a man, that sort of invitation or question from my friend made me wonder, oh, should I take hormones? And so then hormones was like the first stage of my process. But it was, yeah, it's so hard to describe dysphoria, but it really is, I would say, the thing that clues a lot of people into like that there's something up when they are feeling distressed by being understood as a certain gender, like Mm -hmm. deeply distressed. And it just, it's not like, oh, this is stressful. It's like, whoa, I am being perceived as someone who I'm completely not. And my internal world is very different from what my body is showing. And I need to change this. So do you think that if in this magical reality, hypothetical reality, we didn't treat girl bodies and boy bodies a certain way that you wouldn't have felt the need to change your body? I don't actually necessarily think that. I do think it would be healthier for children in general to not be pegged into those things. I mean, I feel like everybody who was raised a girl had an experience of being told you can't do that because you're a girl. And that is just completely unfair. That's a good question. I think that I've always... I like to separate my gender from my sex, like my physical sex. So I've always been the same gender. I actually don't really call myself transgender because that's a word that was created in the 80s by Susan Stryker to describe someone who changes their gender but not their body because that's how she was. She wanted a word for that. I My gender has always been pretty stably non-binary, even when I was a child. But my physical body caused me a lot of distress. And I think that would have been the case kind of regardless of society. Like I knew from an early age, I had distress around getting hips when I was going through puberty. I asked my mom, like, am I going to have hips like yours? Like, I'm really, I really am scared of that. And I would like put a belt around my waist at night sometimes to like prevent it. Things like that, that I didn't have trans people around me. I just was like, I needed my body to be male, essentially, like more to be comfortable in it, to be able to inhabit it. And that has nothing to do with anyone else. It was just the path I was born to take to change my body like that. And I think that would be the case regardless. Mm -hmm. And there are old traditions of people cutting off their breasts or like self-castration and things that trans people have done throughout time to change their bodies. Hmm. Do you think that, wow, I just actually got taken back in time for a second into a mystical ritual of doing that as an offering in a way? Yeah. Which is interesting. Do you, is that something that they did? Yes. Well, there are traditions. There are Roman traditions of people self-castrating in worship of the goddess. So of certain goddesses where they would become priestesses of that lineage. And so they would change their body for that reason. Mm, I think I've read about this actually. So as a cisgendered woman who loves being a woman, I haven't 
always felt good being a woman. I have, I mean, I do the work I do because being a woman has been fucking hard. And like, I totally get what you're saying. And then I have gone through periods also of dysmorphia with my body, not gender dysmorphia, but complete dysmorphia, like hating my body, looking in the mirror and feeling like my skin was crawling and wanting to like tear it off. And I feel like a lot of people can, a lot of female people can relate to that and, and obviously more people than that. But I feel like that is a trauma that I received from being A, abused, also physically harmed for being a woman and also just existing. And so in that way, I, I have like a level of like deep compassion and understanding, though it's very different, it seems, because for me, it was more like I wanted my body to look different, so, but I didn't want to be a different gender. So my question is, does dysphoria register like a trauma response, kind of like dysmorphia, or what is your experience of that? I definitely, when I was in middle school and I thought that this was body dysmorphia, I was chubby and just uncomfortable in my body. And that's the thing that probably most teenagers go through, especially if you're a girl, because there's so much pressure on your body. But I think actually the dysphoria of being signaled that you're supposed to change your sex, which again is so hard to describe. And people will often, because a lot of people have experienced body dysmorphia of mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable in my body right now deeply will think of it as that, mm -hmm. but it is a distinct experience. It's the dysphoria signaling a transition of gender or sex. I experienced to be quite divine and beautiful. It never came from a place of me wanting to punish myself or fix myself or responding to trauma I had experienced, it was just my path of self-realization revealing itself to me and taking me on this big adventure. I love that. So you started with hormones and then what else was that process and how did that feel? I'm just so curious about what that tangibly was and then what was happening internally and mystically. Yeah, that's, that's a big question. And I think I appreciate being asked about it because I think that this is something my friends and I talk about, my other friends who are trans, is we want to tell more of the good sides of our stories and how we came to be who we are and not just talk about what's going on right now politically or how we're being, we have violence leveraged against us. And like, that's all very true. But I think the healing of that comes from hearing our stories. And yes, hormones are magic. They are very wild. It was, <laughs> yeah. I, Hormones are crazy. It's a lot. I kind of think of them as like little antennas for spirit. Like they bring, they, they're so spiritual in a way. And I had this very psychedelic experience, like watching your body change before your eyes in ways you really can't imagine. Back then, back in the day, we would do a lot of YouTube research and I was watching people's vlogs on I'm on month two and I have one new chin hair and like, this is what's happening. And, but you just never know what's going to happen. So I tried to, in the early stages of being on hormones, 
do like a devotional practice of just observing my body and like enjoying that. And I experienced some very interesting things, especially in the period where you're changing from one to the other. Because actually now I am a menstruating person. I'm off of testosterone after nine years on it for now. And so I experienced the going back into an estrogen-based system, but going into a testosterone-based system. I definitely learned a lot about masculinity and where there are biological things that I was working with a different emotional palette. I could go into detail about the specifics, but I kind of realized what was real and what wasn't about what men have been saying about themselves. Because I was like, okay, yeah, like you might have a little bit of a tendency to maybe get more easily frustrated by something or skip between emotions. But like that does not excuse saying that you have the right to violate someone's person or be violent towards them. Like it's not that there's not this like lion energy of just, I feel like men have really ascribed so much to their biology and a lot of it is false cis men. And so I learned a lot okay. about that. Flag in that. Keep going, but we're definitely going. You want to talk about but, but, well, but keep going because this is really is. beautiful. I'm seeing more the medicine of trans non-binary people. It's because if you can understand both energies, both even somewhat bio- biologically, not just energetic, then you guys are bridges for the great divide. Exactly, Lauren. Yes. That's exactly it. Okay, so keep going with your story. It's working. (laughs) Yeah, I want to really quick honor my friend Kota Camacho, who is an indigenous person from Guahan, which is the native word for Guam, and many other indigenous friends of mine for whom this notion of gender nonconforming people being very important, like almost like spiritual leaders or important cultural figures, that is a well-known thing amongst indigenous people. And I learned in my early days, that is who I learned this knowledge from. And in studying this in school, studying two-spirit people, which is a pan-indigenous term and took on a lot of forms. But yes, for me, I had the experience of being in a fully testosterone-based system for nine years. I got surgery on my chest. I passed through society as a male to most people. Now, again, I'm a menstruating person who could carry a child if I wanted to. And having experienced the embodiment of both of those worlds has taught me a lot. And yeah, I can go into some of the secrets of testosterone, but just to say, I think really the thing I learned through all of the changes going back and forth is that we are not our bodies because throughout all of these changes, there's a part of me that's kind of endless that doesn't change, that doesn't go away. You know, kind of my personality or the spark of my soul, that has nothing to do with my body. And so everything I've learned about the body has just showed me more about who I am outside of my body, if that makes sense. I have to admit this conversation has already healed something in me and I'm going to confess it. I have been pro-trans, non-binary, but the changing in the body has not been something I can understand fully. It, It scared me. It scares me. It did. But now, just in this conversation, I feel illuminated because 
what a beautiful, courageous, alchemical exploration of the nature of soul and the nature of man and woman and what is the essence of God. I totally get why two spirit beings are teachers. And so I want to honor you for that courageous, very unique path that you've taken. And I would love to hear what you more, how you have learned of your soul and also the nature of creation. Well, I think I'm still learning about my soul. And I think there's, there is a lot to be learned about the soul in moving beyond the body, but there also is much to learn in being within the body. I, as a person, I'm so non dualistic in so many ways. I've come to realize I love to like flicker back and forth between things to learn through contrast. This is why even when I pray the rosary, I'll pray an Italian Hail Mary. I'll do a traditional one. I'll do our trans rosary circle version. I'll do a sung version. I'll do it in Hebrew because just that diversity and that moving between spaces is how I learn and being in liminal spaces too, because to some people from the outside would see my body as a kind of uncomfortable, like work in progress where, you know, okay, so when are you getting like the surgery or like, when are you going to be done with all of this? And that's not really how it goes. Like, however, I love being in my body and I do feel comfortable in being in a body that is liminal and that has a mix of masculine and feminine characteristics. And yeah, but it's hard to say. I'm still learning about my soul and about the divine. I mean, I've just learned that we are all perfect already, basically, and that there's really nothing anyone like needs to do to be all right or worthwhile. There's literally nothing. Like people just as they are now are whole and perfect. And from that knowing, you can expand endlessly by choice if you want to. You can change. I mean, I completely left behind a name, a body, a gender, and I'm fine. I'm still alive. And actually, I'm happier, you know? So I think what I've learned about the divine through transition is that we are all beloved by the universe. And also that there is a part of the divine that is for me that guided my journey of being trans specifically. Like that wasn't like, it wasn't a trauma response. It was like I experienced miracles along the way that showed me that I was on the right path, if that makes sense. Maybe you can tell us the miracle of your name. Yeah, I would love to share that story. So yes, I was around 19 years old and I had already realized I was not a woman. I wanted to change my name. I had never really liked my name growing up. And so I went in search. I was in search mode. I was, you know, when you're just like, I'm open to something coming in that I need to know or that I need to find. And I was like, I might have even been 18 when I changed my name, maybe 19. And I'm 31 now. So I went into name finding mode 
And I was just looking, waiting. I wanted to see if the universe could bring me something instead of me like looking at a list and picking what was best. Cause I always feel like when I let like the creator sort of guide me, it just works out a lot better. <laughs> and so I was at work one day. I was a barista at the time and I left my job and my friend who I worked with texted me and said, Hey, could I call you Jonah? Because I love whales at the time. That was like a thing people associated with me. And I was like, okay, sure. And then is Jonah some type of whale? Jonah. Well, from the Bible story of Jonah oh, and the whale. Oh, yeah. People. Sense. Yeah. Anyway. So Jonah, they proposed Jonah. I was like, sure. And then for a few weeks, I, experienced them calling me that. And I thought about it and I was like, okay, I do. I think this is the one I'd always really liked that name. I remember we had a neighbor who was naming her kid that, and I was so happy about it for some reason. I don't know why. So I decided to take on Jonah, long story short. And then I had to tell my mom that I was changing my name from the name that she gave me, which was, it's kind of a scary thing to do. And I really didn't want to hurt her or anything. And so I called her and she answered and I was like, mom, I found, I think I found a new name for myself. And I said, she said, okay, what is it? And I said, Jonah. And she said, Jonah. And I thought, I thought maybe she was mad or I didn't really know. And then as it turns out, she said, Jonah is what they were going to name me if I was born a boy anyway, which I never knew. And that is the name she actually wanted for me. Whereas my like female name was one that my dad chose that my mom was never really on board with. So she was very happy about the name Jonah. And I found that to be miraculous in that I had no knowledge of that. And someone else brought me that name anyway. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was kind of miraculous. Were you raised with a Christian tradition? No. Okay. So what's interesting is like, we have all this social context about how queer is bad or whatever is preached on the pulpit. But actually what it feels like is these like biblical Catholic symbols pop up from the field of memory of culture to come and guide you towards trusting who you really are as a trans person, or at mm -hmm. least I'm making this up, but maybe you can tell me how you relate to that. Yes. For some reason I am, I mean, I think it's my ancestry in part, but I am guided by sort of a lot of Catholic and Christian archetypes, but yes, and this is part of the work that I do is insisting that there is a place for us, not just off in the corners of Catholicism or Christianity, but there is a place for us like at the table. Like we, we are there in these stories. We have been there always. And so I search and I search to try and find examples of gender nonconformity in Christian and Catholic history, especially in reading like the Nag Hammadi scriptures and just working with looking at the history of what was destroyed when and things like that. But yes, I, it is a strange overlay and the rosary especially has really changed my life because being trans in this world right now can be 
a bit of a scary experience depending on where you are and what you're wearing. Being in public can be hard. And so praying the rosary and having access to divine protection and to be able to call in the Holy Mother to be with me, I believe is something that changed my life because now I move through the world with a higher sense of just safety and I know that the universe is guiding me and protecting me. And so I don't worry so much about what other people have to say. And I feel more like I belong in the world because I think so much tells trans people that they don't belong in this world. And so it really was the rosary that healed a lot of that, which is very interesting. And now I pray with a bunch of other trans and gender non-conforming people who have also picked up the rosary prayer because it's in their ancestral lineage as a way to call in protection and help their lives. So I am curious now about divine androgyny. If there is a divine feminine and there's a divine masculine, and these are whole concepts that people find home in and find growth in, they're not limited concepts. They're always growing and changing, but neither of them has ever quite been for me. If anything, I have flickered between learning about both, but what I started realizing was that I think there is a path specifically for gender non-conforming people. And a teacher slash friend of mine, Olivia Pepper, and I sort of coined divine androgyny together. I think I told you about the triangle. You could imagine a triangle where you have two points, divine feminine and divine masculine. And they're not opposites or it's not so black and white. It's a very interdependent, always changing dynamic. Gender norms change all the time and through space and time. But when I think of divine androgyny, I think of that as like the alchemical point of the triangle. It's the place where it's something that all people have within themselves. And it is a place where all things that are solid about the self are put onto the alchemical fire. Am I just performing this gender for social gain or do I really like being this way? Who am I? Like, I think when people meet trans people, they're often confronted with questions about these kinds of things. I remember having talks with my mom when I was coming out that I think were empowering to her where she was like, I never really thought of myself as just like a girl. Like I'm, I like doing all kinds of things. And so I think of divine androgyny as a place of a path of constant change of, of death and transformation, death being like the ultimate transformation of the body, a place of concentrating and honing things and of breaking things down and really trying to get to the truth. And it's not that I think divine feminine and masculine don't hold this capacity, but I do think in the interaction between the divine androgynous sort of pole of alchemy and with these more solid concepts of feminine and masculine, it catalyzes change in others almost if they want to engage with that work. 
And as I said, I really, not everyone is trans, not everyone is non-binary, et cetera. But I do think all people have the ability to tap into what of them goes beyond the body. Again, like if we're all just walking skeletons really at the end of the day, who are you? You know, and everyone has a divine androgyny within them as well. And when I've looked into more Catholic and Christian traditions and in talking with some friends, we kind of think of the holy child as that in a way. Or like, I also think a lot about Gopala, which is Vishnu's child form. And Vishnu, as a child, like Vishnu was beloved by the god Shiva like a child where it's like, oh, wow, you have this beautiful like compassion and love. And Vishnu is also an androgynous being. I think of divine androgyny as like the holy child of the Trinity or like the child of the universe that's like out there exploring like truth without being within an already existing truth, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What I hear in this and when I think of the visual of the triangle I see divine feminine and divine masculine at the bottom of the triangle. But again, like they're not separate parts. They're part of the same thing. And that the very peak is divine androgyny, which is like masculine and feminine as one and even more than we can even probably comprehend within that. And that's the oneness consciousness from which the poles of masculine and feminine emerge. And that within it is all of the different flavors. That's kind of what I saw. Yeah. And it's hard because I do think really at the end of the day, there's no separation between us at all. But if we, for the purposes of being humans, we like to create structures like this to understand things. So I think I like what you said. And I would say it's a place also of just nothingness and everythingness all at once. Mm -hmm. What that's bringing me to is when we think about the incredible diversity and multi-dimensionality of existence, different galaxies, different universe, perhaps other sentient beings, there's all of these different flavors and reflections of what the one source is. We've so often believed that we are made in the image of the creator, but the creator is this white bearded man in the sky. When What I love about what you're saying is like the one source is so many things and we're all a reflection of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, if everything is all one, yes. But I I think that as we move through our lives as humans, there's like a coalescing of things that are with us. For example, someone who's pursuing knowing more about divine femininity, they'll have archetypes and like guides and different beings that they're working with that are helping them along that path of learning. And for me, those are like the androgynous beings, which just tells me that is a path, you know, while we're all one, I have been guided by angels, for example, are thought to be very androgynous, nature, just certain ancestors. I think a lot about trans ancestry because not just within my family bloodline, but we've always existed. There's a history and a lineage of us. And I do call out to my trans ancestors. For example, St. Juan or Joan of Arc is an important patron of mine. 
who was killed in part because of their gender nonconformity. But just to say that, yeah, there is something that guides us. And what I've had to do just because of who I am is try to find who guides me because there isn't a lot out there about trans spiritual history. Mm. In what way is someone like me, the most ignorant in relationship to trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming people? It's a bit hard for me to answer that because I think I really try to shelter myself from talking about that on a normal basis with people. Like, So I don't always know what the common struggles people are having with understanding transness are because I have to like live my life and be happy. Not that I'm not saying I don't want to answer your question. I'm just saying I don't fully know. However, I think I've seen a lot. There's, it's becoming a heightened conversation lately. And I have seen, especially in the spiritual community, which makes me so sad. I've seen a lot of people say that trans people existing or for example, like me choosing to take testosterone and remove my breasts and do all of this, that I was just abandoning a womanhood that I could have had. But that is not true. I, yes, I could have been a woman. There is nothing stopping me from doing that. I, as a child, as I said, I advocated for myself to be able to be a girl in a way that felt good. And then again, separate from just like, I'm unhappy with my body. There was a divine message that guided me internally to do this. And if you read the trial of Joan of Arc as well, they when they're answering the people who are questioning them, they go between saying, God told me to do this and this is my preference. And I don't think there's a difference between the two. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're following a calling. It's your preference to follow that calling. Yeah. And the feelings of what we desire, if we are not separate from the divine. So like these messages we have internally are divine and it feels like quite a reach for someone to try to say that I should have made a different choice in my life and that I am misguided because I have been doing this for over 10 years, first of all, and was guided by the universe to do this. So I think that's just one of many sort of, I would say, fear-based arguments of people worrying that, I don't know, I think it's a fear of loss, loss of identity, loss of social power, loss of legibility, I don't really know, but I guess I would just encourage all people when learning about this to do so through the bonds of friendship and care not by just like reading, researching, but there are trans people everywhere. There are gender non-conforming people everywhere. Most of the quote unquote women I knew moving into town are now using she and they pronouns and are realizing like, I am actually like, there's other aspects of me that I want to honor. And that doesn't have to be scary. That's not a bad thing. I don't think womanhood as a thing is ever going to be gone. I don't think manhood as a thing is ever going to be gone. Because again, just like I was pulled onto my path, there are people who know I am on the path of the divine feminine. It's been around for thousands of years since the dawn of humanity. Do not worry 
that something you love or need is going to be gone and be open to the fact that change and letting go, though, can allow us to be fully living our lives and to be free. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. Okay. So now going into, I'm just going to ask vulnerably questions that I've either heard people ask or that have popped into my mind or that are in the mainstream narrative. And if at all, my question stirs some kind of reaction, I actually want to know what it stirs just for the sake of connecting and learning. Yeah, this is why I'm here. So let's do it. So my first question is what I've vulnerably had a question of this myself because I confess the surgery is always like in support of, but always kind of made me a little uncomfortable and particularly about young children under the age of 18. And I want to hear about that from your perspective. I want to learn from you and that perspective. Yeah. Well, I'm going to keep it real, which is that there's a particular hospital that's sort of being used as an example of this idea that young children are getting gender confirmation surgeries and all of this. Actually, that hospital has performed five total surgeries on people under the age of 18 out of the tens of thousands of patients that they've seen. And I think only one of the surgeries even had to do with gender. Maybe someone got a top surgery, which is a double mastectomy when they were 18. But most of the surgeries were just regular surgeries. So this notion that people under 18 are getting surgery is actually a fallacy. And that is extremely uncommon. Mm. I got surgery when I was 19. So I do think an 18-year-old could probably know like, hey, I need this. I just was, it was very hard for me to have breasts and always it just continued to be hard. I had that knowing. I think when you actually look at what's happening with youth, trans youth medical care, it's mostly therapy. Mm -hmm. And when they started investigating, for example, Dell Children's in Austin, it was the therapists who left the state. It was mostly therapists who they were investigating. And many of those therapists were eating disorder therapists. So they all were like, okay, well, I guess I have to leave the state now. So I don't understand. Just to say, I say that to say that youth medical care realistically looks like therapy most Uh of the time. I see. And that surgery on people under 18 is extremely uncommon. And I'm, it's just funny because suddenly that's a concern that people have when like, we've all been out here doing this for so long. So it's like, I would just ask people to recognize that is not true. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So when you got your chest surgery, there was probably pain, there was probably medication, but there was also like liberation and magic. Can you talk about the duality of that? Sure. And actually I misspoke. I didn't, I got my chest surgery when I was 25. 25. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I started hormones when I was 19. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say that imagine if you had like a weird kind of like growth on your chin or something that you just always had. And you were like, I really want to get this removed one day so I can just move on and not like constantly have to think about it being there and everyone's seeing it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. It's just always, it was always like 10% of my brain was caught up in 
ruminating on needing to change my chest. And again, this was, I started doing this in a while ago where that it, there was no pressure from anyone for me to do anything with my body. If anything, people pressure you to not get surgery, right. you know? So the experience of removing my breasts was pure liberation for me. And if you look at research on health outcomes for surgeries, they're very positive. It's 99% positive. I've seen that. You know? Yeah. So it really, that's where it's, yes, we're real because really you, you get the medical care you need and you feel happier and you feel better in your life. And so with that, when I got that surgery, I did not have any hesitations leading up to it, except for there was one day where I remember I looked in the mirror and I was like, am I going to miss these? And then I was like, no. And then I did, I will say, I did make sure to love and honor my body for carrying me as far as it did. I did the photo shoot, a nude photo shoot when I still had breasts with a friend of mine on a film camera. And we really made a ritual of, I wanted to thank my body before letting go of a part of it. And that was a crucial step for me. But the removal of my breasts for me was like, pure liberation, like having a shackle taken off of my arm. Like it felt so, all of a sudden, all of my brain power could just go towards me living. Like I just, I could just put on a shirt and just live and not have to worry. So this medical care can be extremely critical for people because if I was not able to access medical care, I don't know if I would still be alive, mm -hmm. to be honest. Because of the emotional stress of always having to have this thing that made you feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Turmoil, really. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think the creator created trans people and put souls who felt like they didn't belong in a certain body into a body so that they could undergo this pioneering alchemical work so they could be the bridge dividers or why else? Well, really, I just think of transness as a part of nature. So just like the divine is like a unified whole and we're just a part of that, that in different times and places, we become like a separate a thing with like substance that is separate and distinct. But I think for the same reason, all things are created because the divine is a creator. That's the natural impulse of the universe to be always creating and expanding. And even while there's black holes consuming part of the universe, it's expanding at a rate faster than that anyway. It's just kind of the way of things. But when I think of trans people, I guess if I were to try and answer that, I think of us as flowers where it's an example of like beauty for the sake of beauty almost, mm -hmm. or something that is such a concentrated yet ephemeral beauty that comes into the world knowing what it is, blooming and showing that, and then disappears only to come back again another time. And I don't know, I think in a lot of my understanding of divine androgyny, I think a lot about adornment of the body. And like, we have to do a lot to adorn and like create our bodies in a way where we 
can feel comfortable in them. A short answer would be that we're like flowers. We're here to be appreciated and to share our medicine of just how comfortable we are in ourselves outside of social norms, just as how we were made to be. And then the ephemeral nature of, and then we're gone, you know? That was really beautiful. How has this podcast felt for you so far with all my questions? It's felt good. It's hard to have to work against, not, I'm not saying your misunderstanding or ignorance, but just generally right now, I know that there's a lot of things to be unwound. There's a lot of stories about us and, or even just like lack of understanding that needs to be bridged before we can really delve into the fun parts of stuff. But I, I think in the questions you asked, like my, I really do feel like my spiritual beliefs and practices were able to come out as just a part of answering your questions. And so I feel really happy about that. And I feel really good about being here in hopes that although I'm the first, that there can be more and that we can continue building this bridge because we're all going to need to be really strong for the world to come. And that includes honing the self learning how to deal with the unknown, learning how to respect and honor difference between people. I do have ignorance. I'm included in that. And so I've thought about, do I ask certain questions that I don't understand, even though I, it will like actually expose me as having ignorance? And the answer, the guidance was absolutely. And I feel like I've received medicine. And I feel like I love the way you spoke about the flower because right now I feel like I'm reveling in the beauty. And so some of the fun stuff, would you like to leave us with some of the fun stuff? What is something fun Mm. and gorgeous and unique that you want to share with all of us? Something that is fun, I think, is doing call response with the universe, which I think has been an important part of learning about myself, but it strikes me as something that was facilitated by my transness. But the notion of that process of just bringing in something that you want by letting go of your own hand and making it happen and seeing what occurs, even when, for example, okay, some of your listeners could try this because Part of why I'm enjoying this is because I'm sure a lot of people have similar questions to some of the ones you asked, and I'm sure you could have asked more. And so if someone out there wants to know more about divine androgyny, for example, or wants to know more about transness for their own liberation or whatever the case may be, I would say try to put out that desire Don't force it and see what comes in, what lessons come in even from the natural world about this subject and not just from, oh, I ran into someone at a coffee shop who told me this thing, but put out the question. If you have questions, put them out there and wait for the world to answer because we as a people, trans and gender nonconforming people, we have our own path and our own guides and our own ancestors who can answer you and do some of this work as well. So it'd be a fun experiment maybe for people to try that and see what comes of it. I love that. Yeah. And for our last and final question, we ask all our guests, 
in this moment, if you could channel the voice and the wisdom of the Holy Mother, what would she have you share with all of us? I really just feel like she wants us all to know that we belong here right now. There's a reason why every person who's in this world right now is here and the world is changing so fast and we certainly chose a challenging time to be incarnated. I think she would just want everyone to know that they are already whole and belong and also that she can help guide us like we don't have to be making all of these big decisions on our own she can help hold those things i think that's mainly what's coming through really that i just feel like that sense of no i belong here now as i am whoever you are is going to be so critical it's critical now but it's going to be critical in the world to come and to really from that place of wholeness is how we can engage with people who are very different from us with genuine love and to form connections and a strong community. So I think she would want everyone to know that they're already perfect as they are. Thank you, Jonah, for being a beautiful, humble spiritual teacher and for joining us today and being really raw and vulnerable. Where can people find you and follow you and learn from you? Thank you so much for having me. I have three ways to be found. I have a website, jonahwelch.com. I have a Patreon where I share my writing in full, which is also, you can just find me under Jonah Welch. And my Instagram where I share art and writing and many other things, updates on my life is also at Jonah Welch. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. And I hope that we all take Jonah's guidance. And when we have a question relating transness or really about anyone, let us turn to the divine and seek answers in nature and all around us rather than just listening to the political noise or the mainstream noise, but really finding that from our own spiritual connection. Thank you. Thank you. Psych, we're not done. We have some bonus content for you. We're decompressing after the interview and I asked Jonah, what feels tender? What has been tender about this interview? Because we both feel pretty tender. And I was curious if there's anything I did that caused harm or what that tenderness is. And I'm going to pass it to Jonah to share with you what they were sharing with me. Thank you. Sometimes the after hours conversations bring up important things too. And what I said to you is that the interview itself did not make me feel tender or harmed in any way. I think the tender part for me is returning back to my life, driving home, and being, after I leave this interview, I'm still a trans person in Texas, and I know people right now who are having to leave the state. I know people right now who are struggling with mental health issues, substance abuse issues, employment discrimination, housing discrimination, all of these things where the tenderness is that 
my community needs help. Like we, we don't, we need more than this interview. We need help. We need places to be. We need money to be able to live. We need to be honored for who we are. And so the tenderness for me is knowing that my, my loved ones in my community are struggling and that some of them may die in the struggle. And I feel safe in my own life and I try to help everyone who I can. But I'm sorry, I'm crying. No, this is just no the apologies. reality of this interview and this work are so important, but like we're also dying. It's not it's not just like a fun intellectual concept to toss around. We're like real people. And a lot of us are very like poor and don't have the things, the care, the basic things that we need. Because of job discrimination. Yeah. And because of social stigma around who we are. I'm lucky because I pass, I can pass really well as a male when I need to or whatever. But like I think about trans women who are just immediately known to be trans by how they look. And because of that, they are harassed and denied jobs and beaten up and like all of this. So beyond this interview, like we need a place in this society and we need protection and we need legal protection. And so that's the tender part for me is returning back to my full spectrum life and all of these, this work and the work that I do beyond this conversation. So. Jonah is a writer and you make your living doing multiple things, but part of it is your Patreon and your writing. Yes. And can you talk about your dream that you want to create? Like you have this spiritual circle that you hold space for, but what is the dream you have? Yeah, we didn't even go into talking about the trans rosary circle, which is a very powerful like force in my life. But my my dream is to essentially have a convent of my own and I'm currently in school studying Chinese medicine so I want to be practicing as a doctor I want to have a place where people can go to live and partake in almost like how cenobitic nuns were like a communal spiritual space that's non-dogmatic and has where people are fed and housed that is my dream and I know so many people right now who need that so desperately, who just need a place to go. And I'm doing this by, yes, I make all of my money. I'm an illustrator. I draw and I sell my drawings and I write. And I've been building that for 10 years or so. And Patreon is Patreon is how I buy groceries. Literally, that's how I eat. I don't make any money beyond that and what I do freelance or sell. So for those of you who have been deeply touched, like I have, follow their work. And when something really resonates, or if you want to keep learning, contribute to the Patreon, help this one person to help many others. And let's keep learning. Let's keep learning together. And let's keep showing up for our human family. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. 
It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note, or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you. It really means so much to us since for us, this is a labor of love. And so thank you for giving back in that way.